Thanks very much. Just setting myself up. Um, and uh, a word of thanks as well for the organizers um, of this day for uh, inviting me here. It's a delight to be um, sharing some of the work that we've been doing in Amsterdam and um, with a number of colleagues. So just in case, I'm not going to make it until the end of my PowerPoint slide because of time limitations. I thought I'd start by telling you the three key messages of what I hope kind of will resonate and, and will maybe stay with you. So the first one is, when we um, think of peace building and sustainable approaches to peace building, often education and social sectors are an afterthought. And so what I'll be arguing today is that in any sustainable approach to peace building, education is key. The second message is that education alone cannot build peace. So we need an understanding of the complexities in which education is um, related to a number of processes that um, are either driving conflicts to happen or that are building peace. So um, I will be speaking about the relationship between education and economic governance, politics, um, as well as social cultural um, relations and tensions in society. Thirdly, when listening to young people, and that will be part of the focus of what um, I share here today, frustratingly enough, in conflict-affected areas, education for them is not fulfilling its promises. Education is um, not delivering up um, on its potential. And it's often because the way that education is seen and is invested in is in a very narrow, limited sense. Education is often seen as um, from an economic perspective and to produce productive citizens, which is not living up to the full potential of education. So education as key part of sustainable peace building, then secondly, education alone is not going to build peace. And thirdly, we need a much broader and holistic understanding um, to fulfill the potential of education. So that's just a disclaimer, and in case I didn't ma don't make it to the end. So, um, why is this a very timely and relevant um, topic to be speaking about in uh, these types of conversations and, um, and meetings? In December 2015, there was uh, an adoption um, by the UN of uh, Resolution 2250 called Youth, Peace and Security. And this new resolution is actually seen as um, kind of the next one in line after the Women, Peace and Security, the 1325, which was adopted in 2000. So 15 years later, the international focus um, makes a shift into looking at the younger generation. And a lot of the attention towards younger generations comes from a point of fear and a problematization of the youth bulge, of the incredible um, kind of demographic uh, majority of younger populations, especially in so-called conflict-affected countries. Now, interestingly enough, this resolution was very much driven by um, youth activism and youth participation, and part of the language in the resolution tries to shift this discourse and this language by saying, youth and young people are not a problem towards peace. Actually, they can be part of a potential. Um, education is mentioned in the resolution, 
um, but in my view, um, still in a rather limited sense. Although educating for a culture of peace and peace education are even mentioned, I would argue that looking at peace education in that way is not enough. Um, educating about peace is incredibly important, but if education needs, um, wants to make a real concrete contribution to peace building, we also need to look at the way that education systems are governed, are paid for, how teachers are trained, etc. So, having said that, I would like to um, introduce the work that um, I'm going to present on, but I'm actually presenting on behalf of uh, a number of colleagues that I've been uh, able to work with over the past years as part of the research consortium on education and peace building. And the research consortium was a partnership um, with UNICEF and um, with four country offices of UNICEF in Myanmar, in Pakistan, South Africa, and in Uganda, and between three universities. Um, University of Amsterdam, where I'm based at, um, University of Sussex, and the team was led there by Professor Mario Novelli, and um, by Ulster University, and that team was led by Professor Alan Smith. And so, um, in those three universities, we had teams of colleagues, and in the four countries, we were also working with researchers um, based in those contexts. So it was quite a large team of people that we um, were working with. And we focused in this research um, on the role of education in peace building. And it was part of UNICEF's PBEA program, Peace Building Education and Advocacy Program, which was funded by uh, the Dutch government for a period of four years. It was quite a, um, a big amount of funding, it was 150 million um, funding in total. And uh, part of that funding was dedicated to research. Um, and we were one of the research consortia, and there are many more. Um, and information of that on most of these research encounters, not only ours, but others as well, are all available uh, online if you're interested. But I'll focus today on what we've been doing. And um, we worked in three thematic areas that are represented in the blue pillars. So we looked at the governance, we looked at the way that education was part of peace building reforms, and the other way around, how education um, how peace building was part of um, the education um, policy arena. We looked at the role of teachers and the deployment and training and governance of teachers. And then thirdly, we looked at formal and non-formal education for young people. And that's what I'll be um, focusing on. And this is also what um, the University of Amsterdam was uh, leading on. Sussex was working on teachers and then um, Ulster was working on the policy area. And we conducted all of those three areas in the four countries. So it was quite a massive undertaking in only two years' time. We did literature reviews in all of those areas. We um, came up with uh, country studies. Um, they're all available online as well. And then out of those four country studies that were um, often co-authored and developed uh, together with researchers in the four country uh, context, we came up with three synthesis reports. And today I'll be um, sharing some of the findings of the last synthesis report on youth. Now, when we started um, to work on peace building, and not just for this research consortium, but a little bit longer ago, and um, also very much in collaboration uh, between these universities and colleagues, we thought about peace building. 
I'm not sure if you can see the reference here, but this is uh, an art piece um, by Banksy. Um, so peace building, when thinking about social services, um, as I mentioned before, it's often an underestimated, under, um, undervalued part of peace building approaches. And if we look at the more kind of human security or mainstream liberal approaches to peace building, building stable markets and systems of justice and security often come first. And these are incredibly important. However, sustainable peace needs a substantial and serious engagement with social sectors as well, as I think the former presentation um, also alluded to. So from that idea and from that understanding, we um, started to develop, and um, this is Mario Novelli and Alan Smith, sometimes it's nice to see some um, faces with names. Um, we came up with what we have termed a four R's analytical framework. And this framework is very much um, theory in building or theory under construction. And so um, I also very much welcome your thoughts and ideas and feedback um, on this. And this is also how we've approached this analytical framework in working with the different teams in the various countries. The 4Rs framework builds on the work of Johann Galtung on positive peace, um, which has been very well introduced this morning. It also uh, relates to a broader body of interdisciplinary literature, um, including conflict studies, the work of Lederach, um, but also including the work um, of Nancy Fraser, a gender and feminist theorist on social justice. And so the 4Rs framework is um, in essence, it's a social justice lens to looking at peace building. And the three first, um, I'll get to the R's in a minute. Um, the three kind of arguments that you see listed here is basically the rationale that I started off with. A sustainable um, approach to peace building needs a serious engagement with um, social sectors or social development um, in order to understand root causes of conflict. Education has a significant contribu contribution to make in order towards working to transformations, um, which is lying behind the work of Nancy Fraser and social justice as looking for a change of the status quo um, and not problem solving a situation as it is, which would mean for the education sector that you wouldn't only rebuild schools and continue with the education system as it has been working, but actually reform and revise and critically analyze the roles both positively and negatively that education plays in processes of peace building. And transformation is then defined in the four R's, which are also visualized in this way. The first R is around redistribution or issues, economic dimensions of social justice and injustices. So this looks at the way that resources in an education system are distributed and redistributed. It's about access and opportunities to education for um, all groups in society. If we then move to uh, recognition, that deals, um, in the words of Nancy Fraser, with the socio-economic aspects of justice and injustices. And so for education systems, we would be looking at curricula about the ways that um, identity is being formed. And this morning it was, of course, 
discussed that identity is a very tricky issue, but in education you can't ignore it. And um, especially in dealing with history curricula um, or social sciences, issues of identity, um, identity building information come up um, and are also seen, seen as very important by young people themselves. The third R then addresses representation or issues of participation. So how are student voices, teachers' voices represented in decisions being made about policy reform? Um, and then in addition to the three R's developed by Nancy Fraser, we added a fourth R, um, which is around reconciliation. So this is where we try to bring different bodies of literature together. And reconciliation has a different color here because where the blue three first R's are looking at root drivers and kind of uh, triggers of conflict, the reconciliation aspect looks at legacies of conflict and how to deal with history and how to deal with truth and reconciliation and how the education system um, is linked there. As I mentioned, this is um, theory in the making. Um, and one of the ways we try to work with this and apply this is um, in the four countries that we worked with. Um, I will give you a quick glance of the key highlights of the synthesis report on youth because time limitations today don't allow me to discuss all of the details of this report. Um, but before we, I kind of jump into these findings, um, whenever we speak of youth, we need to briefly discuss at least whom we are talking about. And in a way, writing a report about youth in conflict-affected areas is a mission impossible. Because youth, in many contexts, is more than half of the population, so who are we actually talking about? So that's, that's tricky. Um, and we needed to come up with a definition that also works in very um, different contexts. For the purpose of this report, we um, worked with a broad definition of young people in their second and third decade of life. So basically people in their teens and 20s. Um, we looked at both formal and non-formal education initiatives, so taking a broad perspective of what learning and schooling is about, not only looking at the formal systems that governments might be leading, but also looking at learning spaces um, that are supported by community-driven organizations, by youth-led movements, um, by NGOs and INGOs and other civil society actors. So that is the way we looked at education. And then we worked with the sociological concept of agency. So agency was then defined as the space for maneuver available to young people in order to develop conscious or unconscious um, strategies to become agents of peace building. The next slide has a visual of that, but I am mindful of time and I probably don't have um, the time to go into the details of what, how we conceptualize agency. I'm happy to talk more about this uh, during lunch if you're interested. But what I wanted to do um, is to very briefly, for a minute and a half, change the way that we're engaging here as well. So it's a little bit of a pedagogical trick. I'm going to ask you to, for a minute and a half, turn to one or two of your neighbors and do a very quick buzz or brainstorm around the main challenges that you can come up with and that you feel 
young people are faced with in conflict-affected societies. So what are the key challenges young people face in conflict-affected societies? And then in order to come back to the plenary, when I start to raise my hand, if you could do the same, and then at a certain moment, you'll see a lot of hands up, and that's kind of the key to come back. So please find one or two people around you, a minute and a half, what are key challenges for young people in conflict-affected areas? Please go ahead. Okay, my students are much more responsive to the hands up than... Uh, okay, this, this works as well. Thank you. Due to time considerations, I don't have the time to ask for your feedback, but I assume that some of these issues might have come up in what you started to discuss about. Levels of unemployment, exclusion from processes of decision-making, difficult or alienated relationships with the state, levels of distrust, and importantly, what I want to focus on here and what came strongly out of the evidence in the four countries and what was one of the most frustrating findings of the study is that young people were generally very unhappy with their experiences of formal schooling. And they felt it did not prepare them for future life and it did not support them in becoming critical thinkers or peace builders for that matter. Um, so that is an uncomfortable um, finding. We also found that, um, and that is what we've termed our caterpillar um, figure, is that young people's engagements and young people's agency or empowerment is often considered to be very, very local between peer groups, young people um, amongst themselves, but actually in listening to um, youth movements and youth-led agencies and students in the four countries, we realized that also because of ICT and uh, internet connections, the levels of engagement range from the international, the national level, the regional level, the community, all the way down to kind of the interpersonal and intrapersonal levels. So there's a very interesting kind of multi-scalar engagement there. Now, we looked at both formal and non-formal education initiatives, and we applied our four R's analysis. And what we found is that um, the initiatives and the interventions in education, both formal systems and the non-formal education, focus mostly on issues of um, economic agency, of redistribution, um, in order to create access, which is important, but also programs that focus mostly on developing um, technical and economic skills to prepare um, youth, um, in theory, for the labor market, which is incredibly important. Representation, then, which is the other part of the pie, if you would imagine this blue thing to be a pie, we should have probably given it another color, um, representation, the political aspect, was then second on the list of getting attention. Um, youth leadership programs, youth fora, debating skills, some of those things do get attention. And um, interestingly enough, you see that the recognition and reconciliation R's are very limited. And um, in speaking to youth, what we heard back is we actually very much value the teaching of history. We actually need 
um, more support in understanding who we are and where we come from. So it is around recognition of identity. There are very strong claims around language of instruction um, and the ability to be able to speak and teach um, in one's mother tongue, um, which were often underrecognized um, in these examples. I need to be very brief. Um, I will just focus on, um, as I mentioned uh, just before, the fourth finding was that youth really demand a holistic form of education that does not only address um, reading, writing, and mathematics, but goes much broader and prepares them for life in a much more holistic way. In order to accomplish that, formal education needs to be um, reformed, and um, further research and systematic evaluation is very much needed. And these are the final thoughts that I shared at the start, just in case time was up, which I think is the case. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much.